How to write music for commercials. So you want to work as a media composer with leading global brands like Nike, Amazon, Colgate Palmolive and more. How do you write music for their commercials? What is important for you to know when you write music for this genre? This is what we're going to talk about in this episode with composer Moshe Bonen and co-host David Friedman. Let's hear it from Moshe Bonen himself. And, and sometimes, you know, I, I find out that less is more, you know, there's a tendency as a composer to make something that is like larger than life. But sometimes, you know, you really have to understand that you're serving, you're serving something else. You're serving, a, like you said, we're, we're, we're scoring for media. So it's either like a podcast or a picture, a commercial or a film. There's always, we have to, it's like, you know, like a sound engineer, we have to understand that, you know, our senses You know, we, we kind of like need to find like the right balance between everything, you know, what the viewer is going to see, what he's going to hear, and to be attentive to that and sensitive to that, that we're basically, it's not about our concerto for a violin. It's about the bigger picture. Welcome to Rewind. An optimistic podcast that'll help you in your successful career in music. Amit Weiner hosts musicians, composers, professors and sound wizards as they share their life stories and career decisions. Stay tuned, it's going to be epic. Hello and welcome to another episode of Rewind, the podcast that will help you grow your music career. Today we have a very, very special episode with co-host and a very special guest. Our co-host in this episode is David Friedman, that was a guest in one of the last episodes as well. David is an experienced executive and serial entrepreneur with over 30 years in the tech industry. And our super special guest today is Moshe Bonen. Moshe is a composer, producer, songwriter, and multi-instrumentalist based in Brooklyn, New York. Moshe's music has been featured in numerous commercials for leading global brands and in short films, some of which have been featured at renowned festivals such as Cannes. Moshe's talent extends beyond the studio with a history of performing across the U.S. as a singer, songwriter, And Moshe is known for his musical versatility and storytelling. Moshe is the owner and creative director of Lumax Music and clients of Lumax Music include Nike, Amazon, Colgate, Palmolive, ST Lauder, Walton Family and more. Wow. Let's start. So first of all, David, thank you so much for being here as a co-host. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. And Moshe, thank you so much for being in this episode. Sure. It's uh, my pleasure. Hello, Amit and David. Wonderful. Moshe, let's start with maybe you can share your career journey so far and how you've reached to where you are today. Um, so uh, <laughs> uh, for me, it was kind of like an interesting long and winding road. You know, I started, um, I was always a musician since I was young. I started playing guitar when I was 12 or 13. And then, you know, I really wanted to stick to music, but my career turned into other Uh, fields like entertainment. I was uh, on uh, Israeli radio 
for quite a while, seven or eight years. Uh, I was part of my army service and I was a radio broadcaster and an interviewer and I worked around musicians and the music uh, playing all the time. But, you know, mainly, you know, broadcasting on, on radio and television. And uh, then in 2007, I moved to New York and I felt uh, like I had all the freedom to choose what exactly I want to do. And uh, slowly I got back into music and writing music and, you know, scoring original music. But yeah, so, so it took a while, you know, to find my inner voice and my sound in a sense. And um, slowly I got to um, TV commercials, starting scoring original music for commercials and short films and independent films and so on. And a few years back, I, I opened the studio based in Dumbo, Brooklyn, on the waterfront, you know. Very nice place. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, David. So I'm I'm here and I'm I'm local, you know. I live on on the waterfront and I work on the waterfront of of Brooklyn. Wonderful. And Moshe, I think the question of this episode would be how to put your music because all of the listeners are musicians and many are wondering how to put your music and your compositions in commercials. I know you are doing many things also, but I think this is a very interesting topic and we didn't have a guest so far that is specializing in that. So what is the process of working with those brands that I've mentioned in the beginning and how do you work with them? How do you put your music in their commercials and what is the process that the listeners can learn from that? So I think um, <laughs> the key to everything in our industry and in every industry is basically, you know, relationships. I think I spent more time creating real relationships and, and building trust with talents across the board. I think I, I spent the same amount of time on writing music or scoring music and the same amount of time I invested in people and good people. And I think it's all basically a story of connections. And I mean, you get to know a good editor and uh, he likes your music and you like his work and you're starting to find the right setting to work together or you, you get in touch with a producer or a director and you nourish these relationships. And I think when, you know, when the right time comes, you know, you, you all shine together in a sense. So I don't have a recipe of like how to put music in a commercial, but I can tell you that I think recognizing the talents that uh, you're inspired with and, you know, inspire you to create and, and work in what you want to work is a main element in what we do. And that's what happened with me. You know, I, I connected uh, with a dear friend of mine, uh, Chris, who's an editor, and slowly we started working together and building our relationship. And he worked with a lot of directors. And then after that, you know, one commercial brings another one. It's, it's exactly like other industries, I believe. You know, it's word to mouth and you get recommended and people hear your music uh, in one place and then they contact you. They want, they like this particular sound or, or style. So uh, they contact you and they want to try to see if you can work together. And again, a lot of time, you know, you work on something and, and you score something and eventually it doesn't go into the commercial, but you still gain the relationship with that person. So another round comes and then there's another opportunity to work on something together. And I think that was kind of like the main thing that really helped me build my career. Yeah. So and let's dig a little bit deeper into those relationships and this kind of work, because I think it will be fascinating to all the listeners. So, for example, when you work with Nike or... Colgate Palmolive for an advertisement. 
Do they give you a musical reference usually that you need to be as close as possible to? Or do you have complete freedom to compose whatever in your mind? Do you usually compose like a couple of versions to each commercial and they choose from? What is the uh, technical process that you work with those clients? So it depends. It's a good question because sometimes they do come up uh, with a reference that has nothing to do with, um, you know, what we call the cut. You know, it feels completely disconnected. So you can say, okay, they probably recognize something that they like in this music, though I don't think it works, you know, for this particular style and cut and rhythm and pace. Then you come up with a few options or vibes. Sometimes when I work on a commercial, I, I send like 20 to 30 seconds versions of things that I think could work. You know, usually you go for the safe way, something that you know the client will like, something that you really like, something the editor really likes, and then you start digging and digging and digging from there. And then eventually you get into a place where you're happy with something and the, the client is also pleased. And sometimes, yeah, sometimes they're very specific. They know what they want. They give you a reference and it usually, you know, you work in those guidelines. And of course, you know, you, you try not to sound like stock music. Not that I have, you know, nothing against stock music, but you know, when you were... I have a question about it later. <laughs> Uh, you're trying to sound more original and something that will will be tailor-made for this uh, particular project. And sometimes, you know, the director comes up with something that he likes or he works with you or the editor or the producer. You know, you can get a lot of uh, clues and, and help from different people that come up with, you know, an idea that can help you break through this unknown final product in a sense. So you were talking about stocks you know libraries so yeah. do you use them at all or you write for them even you know part of time you can upload their your music how your relationship with it i think it's a very helpful tool for projects that are have lower budgets and it also it's a great tool for directors and editors to find something in the style of what they have in mind and sometimes you know it can also be like a perfect solution For everyone, me personally, I feel that like shooting a commercial or editing a commercial, it's hard to find something that is pre-made. You have to feel the project. You have to work on the project. So I think music is the same. It will be hard for me to predetermine what would be the style that will work for a certain brand. I don't know. What are we talking about? What, what is the visual? Who are the people that are presented in the cut? What is the story? Is there a human story? Is there what's behind? You know, what are we trying to say? All the other elements in, in a film or a commercial, you know, it's something that has a, a thought process and you need to work together to kind of like solve this equation that has many parts. So personally, no, I do not write for uh, libraries. I'm very fortunate and grateful to be working on custom project in a sense. And it kind of like, you know, in the commercial world, It's hard to get excited because you have like a 30 second or a minute. But if you do have it and there's a good story behind it, then you, you have the ability to shine and to write something that is original and you can say something in a sense, then it makes me feel like, you know, there's a strong sense of purpose in what I do. Do you recall Yael Naim with uh, what happened with Apple commercial? Yael Naim with In France? An original song, right? Yeah. So did you have some like opportunities like to put something and that could be like a hit or whatever? She was unknown before. Yael Naim, uh, you, you, I mean, do you recall her? 
No, maybe can you share the story also with the listeners? So what's the story of... Ayel Naim, Israeli, but uh, living in France at the time. And uh, she she was an artist, a musician. And uh, I think it was in 2008, one of her songs was... Uh, she wasn't not really like known, you know, not for you then, know, but worldwide she was, she wasn't a, a huge a huge star till then. But I think she was quite known in France. Yeah, she was a local, you know, starting really in the beginning, and then she broke through through a commercial. So uh, her song was just boot, or I don't know, they elected her, whatever. And I don't know the story before, but. The story is that her original song became a hit, a huge hit, after being in an Apple commercial in yeah. France and then all over the world. You know, from there, she was uh, really a big star uh, worldwide. So that's like an opportunity sometime. I don't know. It's like, <laughs> like yeah. winning, winning the lottery. But it's true. But it's a little different than what we're talking about, because this is licensing a song. I, I don't know if there was licensing or I don't know what, what they did with her. I don't recall. I mean, uh, I think they chose her song to appear on an Apple commercial, but I think what we're talking about here is writing original music to a cut. So nothing that was pre-existed and then was licensed. But in terms of songs, I do write songs and I had an album released in Israel. But when I do write songs, you know, usually I write in Hebrew and not in English. So, uh, yeah, I mean, the main thing that I do, you know, for films and commercial is writing original instrumental music. But a lot of times, you know, commercial commercial projects do license existing songs, either new or old. So it does happen, and it means that people like me are out of the game. <laughs> no, you have to do like the, the makeover of the song, because, you know, usually they don't take, to take the original, they take the song and, you know, you remake it. Like a cover version, yeah. So Moshe, you spoke before, you talked about uh, doing music that doesn't sound too much stock music. And I think it's a very interesting topic that also David and I discussed in his episode two episodes ago about AI-generated music, because I think we all are either afraid of AI-generated music or excited about it. And I want to ask you about your perspective of it. And what is your feeling towards this new invention of AI-generated music, and how do we as composers going to differentiate ourselves as something that doesn't sound like such generic or, you know, regular, I would say, without uh, saying my own opinion on it or with saying my own opinion on it. So what are your tools of fighting against that AI-generated music um, era? First of all, I don't fight, you know, uh, with anyone. I think it's inevitable. And I think it's, I guess, part of the evolution of what's happening in every industry. I think you asked about differentiating myself. I guess just keep on doing what I'm doing, you know, and try to find my voice and to kind of like have my own stamp on the projects I work on. I'm, I mean, it's, it's like... It's like your style. Yeah, in a sense, my style, I, I can say that I, I that I wake up in the morning and I try to differentiate myself from other composers. I'm, I'm highly influenced like everyone else from different composers and, and music in general. And it drives me. And, you know, music is the power behind all of us and, and what we do. So I guess, yes, I mean, AI generated music, I guess, is part of what's happening these days. I don't have a lot of experience working with it. I guess at this point, it is what it is. You know, we just have to embrace it 
and uh, keep on going. I mean, maybe in the future, it will be kind of like a very helping tool in what I do. But as of now, I, I still really enjoy the craft of what I do. I enjoy, you know, playing real instruments as much as I can, recording, you know, discovering new synths and sounds and sampling and so on. I mean, like, yeah. Before the technology, before the, you know, the, the AI, the sampling was like the wow. And they say they won't be more a musician because we have sampling and the truth is otherwise. And I want to ask you about if you say you don't use much, but for example, you said before to define the project and to see what can give you there. And did you, or do you use uh, the chat GPT for helping you, for example, for being the definition of, of what you do or, you know, before you got to the project to get ideas or something? Using chat GPT for, for references? Yeah, references, writing, you know, a description and then getting some ideas from there, you know, or, you know, you get want to get a idea of a genre or whatever. To be honest, I'm not using ChatGPT for this kind of things. I actually try, you know, to look at, for me, what's really helpful when I'm working with big brands is, is kind of like to go back into their history and like go over like old commercials or like older versions of certain products to see what was aired, you know, what kind of style they used for cinematography and music and so on. And then I try to approach it through a different angle. I think this is, uh, I'm trying to see what was done before and then what can I bring that can add something to the conversation in a sense. So, yeah, I mean, um, I really respect uh, ChatGPT. And uh, I know they're huge, but for me personally, it's not a tool that I find useful in the process uh, of uh, writing music. You didn't try enough. <laughs> Maybe. And another question about if you know them, you know, a startup, Israeli startup, but they're already getting bigger. Know my part? Yes. You try them? Because they, they are looking for, you can define a specific mood, some other definitions, and then get specific, you know, uh, only if you want to find some references and to, to find something specific, you can really work with them. Yes, I know of my part and I know Matan personally. We spoke several times and he's a wonderful guy and uh, they have very good intentions and I think they really love music. Yeah, we also discussed, you know, several times maybe adding my collection into my part and we just didn't get to this uh, stage of in our conversation. But uh, yeah, I mean, these are wonderful tools for people even for people who are working with composers, you know, to try, because talking music is is sometimes very hard for people who are not musicians. Even for people who are musicians, it's hard to find the words to describe a certain feeling or emotion. And I think when you hear something or when you play something to a composer, it's, it's much easier. So I think, yeah, that tools like my part or AI generated libraries uh, could be like very helpful for us to understand uh, the guidelines and uh, kind of like the boundaries of the arena we're playing in. And yeah, I think it's all complementing the process in a sense. Because they use it to get uh, some uh, references when when you want to see some photos or, or films, you show them this reference and it's really easy to understand. But in music, it's 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 lacking the, the specific reference because find a mood, you know, what mood and they can help with that. So they, yeah, my part are really trying to break it down, I know like uh, certain keywords and and so on. Yeah, and I think like um, when you're scoring uh, music, you really need to 
try and figure out in between the lines or like what people are trying to tell you and try to feel them. And I think that in general, because I'm coming from kind of like radio and I had a lot of conversations in my life and trying to, you know, you sit with a person and like with a rock star and you need to interview them and you need to kind of like break the ice in five minutes so the interview will sound good. So I think this is a skill that I take with me into kind of like what I do day to day as a as a composer to try and understand what people are trying to convey what feeling they're trying to get from from this project so you know sometimes you're really on point and sometimes it takes longer the trial and error of of uh, scoring and and working on on music yeah i think it's a very interesting topic when we work as a composers for media sometimes the director would say i want it to be more exciting And to interpret what he actually wants and how do we do it musically is always, I mean, I'm interested in what my part are doing to define very specifically emotional aspects in music. Because sometimes when the director says, I want it to be more exciting, you just need to turn the volume up and it is more exciting. Sometimes it's as simple as that. And sometimes it's to add violins or to add percussion and to take out some instruments. So first of all, what is your process when you work with producers or directors when they say something which is not musically? They usually, I guess, don't tell you, could you take out the violin or could you lower the violin an octave? I guess they usually share some emotional aspects that they want you to correct. So how do we deal with that? And what are your tips maybe to the listeners when dealing with directors and producers? Yeah, that's a, that's a very interesting question. You know, there are endless ways of confronting, you know, the word dramatic or, or excitement, or I just give it a try. You know, sometimes it can come from, like you said, violins or other instruments or synth or choir. I don't know, you know, it's, there are so many. So I can't say there's one way of approaching it, but I really try and listen uh, to why, what I created so far. And sometimes, you know, even muting certain elements, kind of like in, in a sense of like elimination, eliminating parts of the score to try and see what what can I add? What's missing? And, and sometimes, you know, I, I find out that less is more, you know, there's a tendency as a composer to make something that is like larger than life. But sometimes, you know, you really have to understand that you're serving, you're serving something else. You're serving, a, like you said, we're... We're, we're scoring for media. So it's either like a podcast or a picture, a commercial or a film. There's always, we have to, it's like, you know, like a sound engineer. We have to understand that, you know, our senses, you know, we, we kind of like need to find like the right balance between everything, you know, what the viewer is going to see, what he's going to hear. And to be attentive to that and sensitive to that, that we're basically, it's not about our concerto for violin. It's about the bigger picture and how we can create the best layer or kind of like bed of emotion for that product. So um, I think a lot of times I try to eliminate and then from there I rebuild instead of adding kind of like, you know, like EQ. <laughs> It's always best to kind of like cut. To cut instead of boost. Exactly. That's super interesting. Yeah. And what you said, less is more. And also that it's not always about the music. It's not always about us. It's actually about the story or the emotional aspect. It's not only about the music. And I think that, you know, what I find out that when I eliminate 
it allows me to sink more into the project, into the visual, into whatever product I'm working with. Because, you know, a lot of times in the process of, of scoring and composing, and I, I think you know it from your work, Amit, you know, there's, you know, we record and we write and we, we add this part. And it's great. It's great because you're in a flow of doing something. But then, you know, it's very important to stop and not to get too attached to anything and understand that everything is fluid. You know, like I said, the bottom line is that we're here to, to help something else sound and look better. So I think keeping that in mind throughout the process is, uh, is essential. So you, you say that you don't have a formula like the for heat formulas, you know, the hook and the so-and-so second still the verse or whatever, you know, there's a lot of talk about formulas for hits and commercial, like it have to be like the formula. Yeah. I guess that's why I'm not Elton John, you know, I'm not <laughs> <laughs> to figure the formula yet. No, I don't really have a formula. I guess every project is different and every team is different and And I try to wake up every morning and just embrace the moment and, and the project that I'm working on and understand that it's also helpful to approach differently, to create something that is different and to find like a different style and to bring something different within you. Because I believe that, like we said about maybe like uh, libraries or stock music, if there's a formula, then I don't know, they don't need me. No, the formula is there. There is such and such uh, sections that you have to do, you know, the, the hook, eight seconds, first eight seconds, then you have the, the verse and, and etc. So then, you know, Dr. Madali, Doran Madali, he's the expert of formulas, and he always break it down to that and, and he said it worked. But you, you say you're coming from your soul, mostly. Yeah, I mean, it comes from my soul, of course. There are like rules of engagement in a sense. You know, we know that the end of the commercial needs like a big riser and like there has to be like a big excitement and then it breaks down into a moment of silence. So, so yeah, I mean, I'm not saying that there are no kind of like rules, no method of creating what we're doing, especially, you know, when we're talking about commercials, but I, I don't know. I, I, I don't think I have a formula. I think that uh, every project, you know, brings something else and I guess new challenge and a new frustration And, uh, you know, all the elements of, of life, I guess, is a, kind of like a manifestation of, uh, of anything else. You know, you wake up every day and you, you need to get through this day. Yeah, that's very interesting. And what you said before was, I think, very interesting and connect the three of us, actually, because you said that you as the composer don't get too much attached to the music that you submitted to uh, the director. And I think it's a great tip for all media composers that are listening right now. Don't fall in love too much with your first draft or something like that. And David, I think this also resonates with uh, a concept that we've discussed in your episode about a very famous sentence in entrepreneurship. Don't fall in love with the solution, but fall in love with the problem. And I think it's actually the same thing that we as composers sometimes fall in love with the solution, quote unquote, which is our music. But our music sometimes doesn't fit the scene or the images. So we need to fall in love with the story, with the film, and not with our music, which is the solution to the problem, which is the film. Yeah, it sounds like that. <laughs> <laughs> 
And uh, Moshe, let's talk about you as an entrepreneur. So you are the owner and creative director of Lumax Music, right? So what is Lumax? When was it founded? Who is the team behind it? Tell us a little bit about the business side of Lumax Music. So um, Lumax is my uh, kind of a creative house, uh, like I said, based in Dumbo, Brooklyn. Dumbo is a beautiful, small pocket neighborhood. underneath the Manhattan and the Brooklyn Bridge on the Brooklyn side, of course, and it has like the most gorgeous views of Manhattan. So whoever wants to really see Manhattan from an outstanding point of view, he should come to Dumbo. So yeah, Lumax, um, I mean, the name uh, originated from the names of my uh, two sweet boys, Luca and Max. Luca is two years old and Max is almost six years old. And I guess... You know, if I need to be honest, I mean, these are the two best pieces of music I've ever created. <laughs> I agree. I totally agree. Yeah. So, um, and I guess that in, in what I do in everything, you know, I, I really like the sense of personal connection and I, and I love the people I work with and I really try to build strong relationships that are not kind of like a hit hit and run, but are like long lasting relationships. So I think I felt like the name... resonance you know with the way I work and then you know I this company I started so so I worked I uh, was a partner and a vice president of a branding agency so um, after I started writing music after moving to New York I joined as a composer to a branding agency and with time I joined as a partner and I worked on other elements in the in the company not solely you know music and composition and then back in 2019 you know my son was around one year old and I felt like I was turning 35 and I released an album in Israel around that time it was my debut album and I felt that you know comes a time where you really need to choose what you want to do and throughout the years you know I was circling around the music field being a musician but not really doing music you a hundred percent doing some other stuff and kind of like being like a one man's band you know with being a radio broadcaster but also playing music and then you know working as a composer in the branding agency but also becoming a vice president and running uh, design teams and creative directors and art directors and working with clients and doing all the other elements of uh, company collections and invoicing and so on and so forth and I felt at a certain point that I, I just I can't do it all. And I really need to get my hands dirty in a sense. You know, I really need to commit to music. So I decided to leave that company and I opened a small studio in Soho, Manhattan. And then COVID hit. And um, as you know, New York changed drastically. And the first weeks of uh, COVID in Manhattan looked like the end of the world. Like, you know, it's a real Armageddon. There were no people in the street. So I packed all my equipment and... Uh, we moved out of town and, um, you know, I was working with a really small setup of like a laptop and a MIDI controller and trying to figure out and my life and our family life and like music and so much going on. And then slowly I went back and I rented some small spaces as a studio. And here I'm based, you know, in Dumbo for the past two years. And I think it really grounded me, you know, having your own studio, I also think is a very important part of. Of what we do we need the peace of mind we need our own space it's so important to isolate yourself especially when you're working under like um, with very quick turnarounds and and timelines and deadlines and so on and I found the studio a real haven 
you know, um, a place where I can be everything I want to be. So yeah, I think, did I answer the question? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> so the listeners do not see all the instruments that you have behind you. And you said before that you are playing all, all the live instruments yourself. And I said in the beginning that you are a multi-instrumentalist. So can you share with the listeners which instruments do you play and what instrument do you usually use in your music? Yeah, for sure. Uh, so first of all, I'm, I'm self-taught. When I was young, you know, I told my mom I want to study music. So she said, okay, so it's either a guitar or a guitar lesson. So I said, you know what, get me a guitar. I'll, I'll work it out. And I started playing guitar when I was 12, 13. And then, you know, I, uh, I moved into piano and keyboards and accordion. And, and then I started playing. Um, I was really drawn to Middle Eastern music. So with time, you know, I started playing Middle Eastern instruments like oud, Baglama, uh, Buzuki, Greek Buzuki. I really love Spanish guitar, Brazilian music. So I think like, you know, these are the main, I can play some percussion when necessary again. So I can play a lot of instruments. I'm not, you know, I'm not a virtuoso, but I can find my way and uh, kind of like alchemize my disadvantages and make them sound good. I guess it's a skill because I'm, I'm working alone. For most of the time, I think it's like a skill that I was able to develop. And, uh, you know, when I need something or when I need to record something, so I farm out, you know, I have a lot of musicians around me and a lot of friends and I work with a lot of musicians. So when there's a um, necessity for a certain instrument, then, of course, I contact friends. And, and a lot of times, you know, depends on the project and on the budget. You know, I work with VSTs when it comes to strings and orchestra. And then on top of that, you know, I record live uh, musicians, you know, uh, playing cello and viola and violin and so on. And then, you know, I kind of like merge it together. And um, a lot of times it sounds really awesome, you know, with with the tools that you have today and VSTs and so on. So, so yeah. And a technical question. So all the mixes and mastering that you do are always, you are doing yourself or do you also use some other uh, professionals to do that? And if you are doing yourself, did you also taught yourself all those skills of mixing, sound, using samples, and also mastering? So, um, yeah, um, I work on Logic, on Logic Pro, and uh, I fell in love with the software. I felt like um, it's very intuitive. It was very easy also to kind of like get all the information you need online. And, you know, there's great support from Apple. And, and also I have a lot of friends who are working with Logic and I have some people who really guided me through. I think like, you know, I started from instruments and playing music, like real live music. And then the technical part came later in life. And I think I had to, I had to work very hard to kind of like bridge the gap that I was behind. You know, a lot of my friends who were like, were working on computers and and DAWs, you know, for many years. So uh, in terms of mixing, I'm not a mixer, but, you know, I can certainly deliver a good pre-mix to a director and to a client that I feel very comfortable with. I do mix sometimes, you know, projects, but I won't consider myself as a sound designer or, or a mixer, but I do, I do feel comfortable in that arena of working with my own music. And a lot of times, you know, organizing my stems and sending it into the mixer. And a lot of times I have a lot of feedback. So, so I do feel like um, when I deliver um, music, you know, for a film or for a commercial, you know, there is like, I would say like uh, something that I feel very comfortable with in terms of a stereo mix or 
the stems, you know, come in a very good shape. And yes, when I do need to mix and master something, I can do that, but I, that's not something that I would uh, add necessarily like as a top service on my list. But it's also, you know, it's also a process. I think we, you know, the more we do it, the more we feel comfortable with it. And I'm trying to be very kind of like self-aware and always learn and ask friends around and not, you know, another thing that I think, you know, when we're talking about tips for other composer or media composers, is ask for help. It's okay not to know something and it's okay to ask and it's okay to share with friends and to see whether what they think about how it sounds and and uh, develop your own center and grow it and, and know what you want to hear and the music and the level that you want to get to, but always seek for help. I think, you know, I have a dear friend in, in LA who is a very successful composer. His name is Eldad Gueta. He worked on La La Land and he worked on Lego and he worked on Blonde and like uh, a lot of uh, music. And he's like also a beta tester for Logic and he's like an expert. And I drive him nuts sometimes. I say, Dad, I need your help. And so he's very helpful and he's a great friend and he's a real mentor, you know, and a lot of times he's, you know, sometimes when you have a good friend or you have a mentor or you have someone that you really trust, it can help you solve something just by giving you the right keyword or like uh, the right tip. He's not going to do the work for you, but he's really, you know, a good mentor can really take you uh, higher. That's what I think. Yeah, I think these are great tips. And I certainly agree with you that it's a lifelong journey. And every day you learn something new, especially in those technical areas like mixing and uh, sound uh, on the computer. I have a very good friend, one of the top mastering engineers in the world, Yoram Vazan who told me that he's now 74 and he was uh, mixing and mastering like for 50 years now. And he told me only in the last two years, I suddenly realized how to use a compressor properly after 50 years of using a compressor. So it's like you learn every day something new, even if you're doing that like for 50 years already. And I think a lot of times, you know, there's a big fear. This is another tip that I got from Eldad you know, in the early days of uh, commercials and trying to pre-mix my music. I think that a lot of times, you know, when we are approaching uh, mixing for media, it's all about the sensitivity or sensitivity and understanding the levels. And first of all, before all the plugins and compression and boosting and everything else, it's just adjusting levels, make it sound even, make it sound nice, compliment the VO, compliment the cut, compliment the sound effect. You know, work around that, learn to work and be fluid, like in a sense, like martial arts, you know, it's it's true, you know, the piece of music in a, in, in a film or a commercial should be like so dynamic and fluid, you know, so sometimes, yeah, it takes over other elements, but sometimes it really needs to know how to, you know, push the brake and like, listen, be there, support it, you know, and like I said, I think that a lot of time less is more. It, you know, when you're not so busy with like, is it good? Is it full enough? Do we have enough instruments? Did I have enough, you know, is the voicing of the string okay? It's okay. Just take a breath and listen to it and listen to all other elements because there's always a bigger picture than what you do. And and uh, and I guess it's hard, you know, we, we work in a studio and we're like, we're stuck with ourselves and we keep on digging and digging and digging. But it's always important to zoom out. And this is um, a great tip that I got from friends in the industry. Zoom out constantly. Listen to the big picture. Listen to what is necessary for the project. It's not only about us. 
Wow, I think this is a great quote and I will cut it and put it at the beginning uh, of the episode as the teaser of the episode because I think it really um, summarizes everything that you've said so far and the less is more sentence which uh, I think summarizes it as well. And I have two last questions, but first of all, David, do you have some last questions of your own before we end this wonderful and very interesting episode? Not right now. All right. So first of all, Moshe and David, thank you so much for joining the show and being as guest and as co-host of the show. I think this episode was full of inspiration and also some technical tips and some life tips as well of how to be a composer for media and how to be a composer for advertisements, how to work with clients. You said that personal connections and personal skills are also of highly importance at the beginning. And you also spoke about less is more. I think I've learned a lot and I'm sure all the listeners as well. So thank you so much. Such a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. So two last questions. Uh, first of all, I think you've talked about it during the episode so far, but maybe you can add some more. So what would be your tips for early stage composers when they come and approach you and ask you what to do? What would be your mentoring advice for them? Besides the things that you've shared so far, what to do in their career, maybe what not to do in their career as composers, and maybe generally even in music. So I think that the first tip that I would give young composers is to try and find projects that really inspire them. You know, find a film or director that worked on a film that really inspire you and try to get in touch with him or a producer of a film that really inspired you or a project or a commercial or in every, and, and try from there. You know, I think the most important thing is to be inspired in our field. And I think that when you're inspired, you really... You have like this inner urge or like drive to say something and to add something to a certain project. And I think that the tip that I, I said before is, is building real relationships that are based on trust and friendship and support. And also keep on working on your music all the time. Keep playing, keep uh, finding new sounds, keep discovering different voices uh, within you, different sounds that inspire you. And, you know, I live in New York, so I, it's really easy to find inspiration everywhere, you know, from like taking the subway and looking at a certain situation or walking the streets or working on the Hudson River or maybe in Dumbo and hearing, you know, overhearing like a conversation and so on. There are so, so many moments in life that can generate an emotion or music or or sound, you know, that you can take with you. And in general, I think uh, don't stop dreaming, you know, keep on dreaming, keep on dreaming and keep on pushing. And and it's not easy. And I know, and, and I think for everyone, successful composers and, and beginner composers, you know, showing up, showing up, uh, that's the most important thing, showing up, keep on showing up. Wonderful. Maybe I will cut this one and put it in the beginning. So for all the listeners, I guess you already know which one I, uh, I've i put in the beginning, but uh, I will think about it because those two uh, last sentences were also very optimistic and positive. And the podcast is named Rewind, How to Grow Your Music Career, an optimistic podcast about career in music, which is something that I value a lot, optimism and positivity in life. So I think that wraps up the episode. I will ask just curious 
we usually ask uh, musicians, what are you listening today? What are the last song you you heard in your streaming? Wow. So uh, to be honest, I was really inspired by um, a story I just I just discovered during the Grammys a few days ago. There's this young guy, very talented. His name is Freddie Wexler. Apparently, for his 35th birthday, his wife was working hard on getting him. He's a songwriter in Los Angeles, and he was writing or co-writing songs for Ariana Grande and some other famous uh, musicians. And he's, he started his music career as an entertainer at a very young age. And apparently, he really loved Billy Joel for many years. So for his 35th birthday, his wife was working hard to, you know, try to connect him with Billy Joel through a doctor and another doctor that knew someone that's... Anyway, he was able to get to Billy Joel. They met. Uh, he says, he tells the story and it's like really inspiring. He says that, you know, Billy ordered a few uh, oysters on the shell and a BLT salad to go. And he knew that he probably going to give him like 10 minutes of his time. And what happened, you know, from 10 minutes... It turned into a two and a half hour meeting and then a long lasting friendship. And eventually it led both of them co-write a new song. Billy Joel didn't release a new song in 30 years. And now this past week, he released a song, Turn... Turn the Lights. Bring the Lights, something like this. Yeah. Freddie and him and another few friends of Fred. I didn't know. I didn't know the story here. I, I heard it's inspiring. He's 37 years old. He co-wrote the song with the great Billy Joel. And it's a really beautiful and organic story about a human connection that turned into a friendship. Billy Joel said long ago that he's not going to write any new songs. He's, he's done. He's not interested. He's still performing his old stuff. I've been there. <laughs> and it's the last song that I listened to, and I was really touched. You know, it, it's a real incredible story. And I think it's also a beautiful song. And I was really, I think the whole package of, so everything is possible. And, and I'm not just saying it as a cliche, but you know, um, just keep on dreaming. I think it's entrepreneurship. Yeah. Yeah. Part of entrepreneurship. You have to dream to make it, make it happen. Yeah. Yeah. Follow your dreams. And if there's someone you really want to meet or connect with, try to make you know, sometimes it's not going to happen, but sometimes it will. And when it does, you know, it can lead to magic. Yeah. We say always, always that in, in marketing and sales, the no, you have the no already. If you won't try, maximum will you have a yes. That's true. And I think we're all, uh, we're all doing what we're doing for the magic, that particular moment where we wrote something that we really love. And like, we don't know how it happened, but it happened. And I think that's, that's the magic. That's the magic in life, you know, that these small moments where... You really feel like you hit something and, and it's good. And you know it's good. And no one can take it away from you. They can say it's terrible, but you know inside it's good. Yeah, that's wonderful. And it also relates to the, your two boys that you've said in the beginning that they are the most amazing pieces that you ever wrote. It's also a magic that nobody knows how it's, how it's happening and how do we have those two little things in our home. And with uh, so much love, I mean, I can talk a lot about boys. I have also two boys. So I agree with that as well. Great. I have two girls, but it's the same. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I think this episode was really, really fascinating for me. I hope also for the listeners. So once again, Moshe Bonen from New York. Thank you so much for being in this episode. Thank you so much, uh, both Amit and David. I had a real pleasure. 
And thanks again to David Friedman for co-hosting this episode. Thank you, David. My pleasure. Thank you. And to all the listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. Feel free to reach out with any questions that you might have. And don't forget to rate the podcast and give it a follow. It will mean the world to me and it will help it reach more people who might find it interesting. I will see you in the next episode with another awesome guest. Stay tuned. Bye-bye. Welcome to Rewind, an optimistic podcast that'll help you in your successful career in music. Amit Weiner hosts musicians, composers, professors, and sound wizards as they share their life stories and career decisions. Stay tuned. It's going to be epic.